Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And oh, God. Okay, so we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 8, Dream a Little Dream. And like, this might be the worst episode of Farscape. You did not undersell it. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, it's because it doesn't feel like Farscape. It feels like a not fun version of one of those bad episodes of Star Trek. So funny you should say that. Mm-hmm. This episode was directed by Ian Watson, who has done many episodes, and written by Rockney S. O'Bannon before the series started. Mm. This was one of the episodes that was used to sell the series, one of the scripts that was used to sell the series. And it got picked up. I know, right? Well, this is way, way back when it was called Space Chase. Well, I can see this episode being in a show called Space Chase. Right. And it's weird to think about how this show was clearly sold as a very different show if one of the episodes was our characters are stuck on a lawyer planet where they're charged with murder. Wait. Litigaria the lawyer planet. Litigaria the lawyer planet. So I don't get how this managed to be dumber than the uh than the mobster world from the Star Trek episode where they go to mob planet. Hey, do not do not speak ill of a piece of the action. That original series Star Trek episode is a classic. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. I love it though. I love it so much. This not so much. Yeah, this is just like God, it's so bad. And part of it is that I know it's not I mean, I know part of it is, but it it honestly feels like it was an episode that was kind of cobbled together from cut bits of other episodes. Well, I mean, it's not because, like I said, it was made before the series was even made. But this is an episode that belongs nowhere, right? It was written before the characters had really been developed. I mean, presumably it was rewritten because, you know, like Chiana. was there. Yeah. But it was written before the show even knew what it was. And... It aired late in season two, like in the middle of season two, episode eight, I guess. So it aired eight episodes into season two, and there's like a beginning and an ending little framing device with Crichton, but initially that framing device was not there, and it was going to open season two. I can't even imagine. Imagine how pissed off you would be if... Season one had ended with this cliffhanger where we don't know what's going to happen to Crichton and Dargo and Aaron. And then season two opens and they're like, Litigaria, the lawyer planet. Right? So this is an episode that belongs nowhere and that when I'm doing rewatches, I always skip. So honestly, you know, this is only the second time I've ever watched this episode. But like, just... The editing in this is so bad. And editing is one of those things where you kind of don't notice it unless someone's screwed up somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, if you've got a competent editor, you won't notice it. If you've got a really good editor, you might notice. Yeah, you might notice, like, interesting tricks. But, like, this is a really bad editing job. It's like, I I don't know if I can make this slam because I haven't actually seen the movie outside of over someone's shoulder in an airplane. But uh-huh. If, Wait, are you going to say Suicide Squad? I was going to say Suicide Squad. Everything I hear about Suicide Squad is just like, it's some of the worst editing. So I haven't watched the movie Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. 
but I have watched the foldable human video about how the editing in Suicide Squad is so bad. So yes, that is my understanding. I've watched that. I've listened to a couple podcasts. I feel like I've got a really good picture of the movie without having to see it, which I mean, I don't know. Maybe if they'd gone with more of a classic lineup for the Suicide Squad, but as is, it's like, I mean, I guess Deadshot's there, and this kind of cemented Harley Quinn as being part of the Suicide Squad when it was, like, never her thing before. Well, I was gonna say, isn't it really, like, they wanted to make a Harley Quinn movie, but they didn't quite have the the nerve to do so? I don't get why they didn't just give her a solo movie instead of making it kind of a Birds of Prey movie, but not really. You know what I want? What? I want a Harley Quinn Poison Ivy rom-com. I want I want a Christmas rom-com. I want Happiest Season recast with Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Is is the the girlfriend going to be the Joker? See, and then you Oh, no, no. So I was so Riley would be the Joker and then you would fix the problem of Happiest Season where you want the main character to not hook up with the love interest but instead run away with April from Parks and Rec. Well, yeah, but then then you should make you should make Riley Poison Ivy and then just change the end so she runs off with her instead of spoiler alert for Happiest Season. Did, does that need spoilering? I feel like everyone was talking about it as soon as it came out. Yeah. She does not end up with Riley. She. I feel like rom-coms inherently don't need spoiler warnings because it's a very trope-laden genre. Oh. And I say that affectionately. Well, remember, like, the cast, of, or someone in the cast, the writer, the director, someone from Last Christmas was like, don't spoil the twist in the movie. And we're like, it's not a twist. It's literally in the title of your movie. Well, also... People were upset that all we had to do, we being people who love rom-coms, all we had to do was watch the trailer and we understood the twist in the movie. Like, all we had to do was watch the trailer. We get it. I mean, he's dead. Yeah, he he's the ghost of the guy who gave her her heart when she got a heart transplant. Literally last Christmas he gave her his heart. It's not subtle. But people were mad about spoilers. Well, uh, people who wanted to see and enjoy the movie were not mad about spoilers. People who worked on the movie who aren't actually rom-com people who were just, like, dabbling in rom-coms were like, Surprise Pikachu face! <laughs> they they guessed our totally hard-to-guess twist! I... I... No. I'm so glad that we saw Knives Out later so that Last Christmas is not the last movie we saw in theaters before the virus locked down theaters across the country. Not that Last Christmas is bad. It's just, it's a high-budget Hallmark original movie. And if that's what you're looking for, Last Christmas is perfect for you. You know, it's, we we just watched uh, Snow. Yes, which with- is from 2002. Three? Which is why it's not it 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 like it, it gets billed like it's a Hallmark you know ro- uh, Christmas rom com movie. It's not. It's like a family friendly Christmas movie. Well, it, it was created for ABC Family. Yeah, yeah. It's just they've changed the marketing around it. So you watch it and you're like, this is not what I was looking for. Which has been a thing this season. Well, it has, but I think that's because there are a few indie movies that take place at Christmas that are pushing themselves like their Hallmark-style Christmas movies when they are not. Cough, cough, a New York Christmas wedding. Yeah, New York Christmas wedding, definitely. Which is such an indie film. I feel like I would have loved that movie if I saw it at a festival 
And I came back later and I was like, y'all, I saw this wild movie called A New York Wedding. And that, well, I don't know, the the pro-life, pro-choice stuff gets complicated. And that's that's a whole nother discussion for people who have seen the movie. If you want to get into that discussion, you kn- you know where to find me. But Hulu, on the other hand, seems to have gotten the rights to a lot of old Lifetime and Hallmark Christmas movies. Mm. And I feel like with The Office going off of Netflix... They're trying to deliver a killing blow to Netflix. I feel like they're like, now is the time to make a big push and take over streaming supremacy. So... I mean, honestly, they... uh... They uh, they got Buffy, which was pretty much the big thing I had Netflix for for a while there. Like, Netflix was basically my Buffy app. Just like Disney Plus is my Simpsons app. I'm definitely watching Hulu more than any other streaming service right now. We, we really should stop putting off talking about the actual episode. Alright, let's talk about Dream a Little Dream. Boo! Yeah. Sorry, I... I love that song so much, and I I feel- do too. Sadly, I feel like it's been kind of overused, ironically, in uh, pop culture. You know, I guess it's kind of a minor chord song. Like, it has that touch of melancholy, so you can use it for, like, that one episode of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, you know? Yeah. It gets, it gets used like that a lot. It, it's not really like this, but it is a little bit like how, uh, you know how horror movies have kind of been abusing? Ooh, it's a creepy cover of a nursery rhyme. Yes, yes. Yeah, it, it's kind of like that, where it was a cool idea the first couple of times someone came up with it, but then... Well, it's like Hallelujah. That's way overused in movies. Effing Shrek did it, which I guess was because Shrek was a parody. People forget Shrek was a parody once, before it became its own horrific meme-generating monster. Uh, okay, okay, back to Farscape. We do need to talk about Litigaria, the lawyer planet. <laughs> so, the episode opens... With a flashback to the end of season one where everyone was about to die. And then John actually does die in kind of a graphic way. We talked about how graphic the stuff was last episode with With the the melting hands. This isn't quite that graphic, but John's helmet gets cracked and his face like explosively decompresses. You've seen Gravity, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Thank you for that sound effect. Mm. But we only see it from for a split second, so I think it's a lot less graphic than last episode. Oh, well, definitely. That was very over the top. <laughs> Zan wakes up, and we see that this has all been Zan's nightmare. And she's all like, oh, John, I'm just in such emotional turmoil. And he's like, okay, but we're stranded on a transport pod, so I'm going to deal with that. And you, like, deal with your emotional turmoil. Yeah. Yeah, we're... We're in media's res, but it's just as a framing device for a flashback, which feels like real sloppy writing to me, but... Eh. Well, I mean, this show often opens like this in the middle of whatever the problem is happening, so I don't actually have an issue with that. We find out that they're stalled out on the transport pod because Rigel left some barbecued dog beast meat in the navigation, like, console... He, he hid some food there. And, you know, that that is good continuity. Yeah. And then as John starts to fix the navigation console so they can get moving again, 
He starts singing a song like you do. He starts singing Dream a Little Dream of Me. I wonder if they got that cleared first because I have to imagine that would be a whole rights nightmare. I mean, probably because it's the name of the episode, but... Okay. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. He starts singing that and then Zan goes, I was, John. I was dreaming a little dream of you. And the trivia that I read for this episode says that Ben Browder was improvising singing that song. But if he was improvising singing that song, why was the next line, I was dreaming a little dream of you? And I don't know, maybe Virginia Hay was just going with it, but I don't buy that John was improvising it and then all of a sudden they were stuck buying the rights. Yeah, yeah, I... That that sounds like fan lore BS to me. Although, there was recently a story that came out on the Office Ladies podcast about The Office, mm-hmm. where in the episode of Benihana Christmas, Michael sings a few lines of Two Tickets to Paradise, and the writer put that in, not realizing how expensive it would be to get the rights to it, and nobody really told her this is going to exhaust our entire music budget until they were shooting. And then they were like, man, you wrote an expensive joke. And she was like, I could have rewritten that. But too late. They spent like, I, I think it was like $20,000 on that joke. Oof. Yeah. It, it could have been something like that. It could have been Rockne S. O'Bannon wrote this. And then later a producer was like, hey, that was a $20,000 name of the episode because we haven't talked enough about buffy yet i'm just gonna pivot a little bit into the scene which i do genuinely believe because it's it's another story like that where it was improvised and they just kind of ended up going with it mm-hmm. but the bit in season six where buffy's uh filling in giles on everything that's happened since he he left okay and giles starts laughing and then buffy starts laughing with him oh there there's a thing about that where they're like Anthony Stewart had broke, and then Sarah Michelle Geller broke, but everyone kind of liked the way it sort of changed the dynamic of the scene, so they all just went with it, you know, and that's what ended up on the screen, and I'm like, you know what, I can really see that, like, it 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 could have been scripted, I could definitely see that, but it does really feel like a blooper thing when he starts laughing during it, and I'm like, you know what, I, I mean, it, it, it worked. There's an episode of Freaks and Geeks like that. Uh, there's an episode where... Lindsay Weir, hmm. whose actress's name I forget. God, I feel like we had this discussion like two weeks ago. I was talking about the same actress and I forgot her name then too. Yeah, because we saw her in something and you had to look her up. Anyway, where James Franco is cheating off of Lindsay Weir. Mm-hmm. And the episode ends with them in the principal's office. And he gives this whole sob story about how he has always been thought of as dumb and he tries so hard and this is the same stop story that he gave Lindsay to get her to help him cheat and when she hears it she's just like oh my god this guy is such a bullshitter and he just he just got me to help him cheat because he's so cute and charming and she just starts cracking up and that was not scripted that was just her breaking and they were like you know what this is a good ending let's just go with that yeah Sometimes it works, although, God, don't push it. I'm looking at you. Uh, what, what was his name? The Jimmy? Jimmy Fallon? Yeah, God, Jimmy Fallon. I mean, I know the whole thing with SNL is that SNL's, SNL has been perpetually only good three years ago or whatever. Yeah, well, I... 
I, I don't think that's true, because, I mean, I think that SNL is only good when John Mulaney writes it, but, like, you look at the Jimmy Fallon sketches, and they're so bad. Well, the in one of the Saturday Night Live books, Candace Bergen talks about how she was on one of the very, very first episodes, and she totally broke. And, you know, it's, at the time, it was loose, everyone was on drugs it was like whatever <laughs> and she was like whatever i'm having a good time and now she goes back and watches that episode and just totally cringes and is like oh my god that's so unprofessional of me well you were in book club so let's all calm down a little bit now to be fair that book was a book i had in high school so it was written long before she was in book club long before she was in book club which okay no we need to actually talk about the episode back to farscape so, John has sung in front of Zan, which means that Zan can read his mind. No, wait, I'm sorry. I was thinking of Lorne from Angel. Like, you know. It's weird because I think of Zan as being my favorite character, but all of her episodes kind of suck. It's so funny because I can't stand Zan for, for many reasons. And the fact that you like her has made me kind of reconsider her as a character. And yet her episodes are some of my favorite episodes. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Zan just feels like a lot of really wasted potential, the character. Mm, interesting. But John's like, hey, why don't you tell me about what might be giving you nightmares? Why don't you, as long as we're, you know, trapped in this thing until I fix whatever, it doesn't matter. This is a framing device. Why don't you tell me about what happened while Dargo and uh, Aaron and I were farting around in, uh, what's his bucket? Moya's kid. Talon. Talon. Why don't you tell me what was happening when we were just farting around at him for like six months? Okay, so first of all, we find out that that time period was 20 days. So now we now we have a, a solid time period for that. Hmm. And we're going to find out what happened on Litigaria. The lawyer planet. Okay, so back when they were all lost, because mm-hmm. you'll remember Moya had to starburst away. Yeah. And when they came back, they couldn't find them. So they're searching on every planet that the the group could have gotten to and and still be alive. You know, every habitable planet that they could have possibly reached. And now they're on Litigaria, which is the last possible planet that they could have reached. And, okay, all the people in Litigaria, I just have to talk about what the look is of this alien. Even the look of the alien, I feel like, goes against the ethos of Farscape. It's a real lazy Star Trek. Yeah, so the whole thing with Farscape is, you know, we have puppets, so appreciate how alien our aliens look. And even when we don't have puppets, we do not skimp on the prosthesis, just check out Dargo Mm. and his face tentacles and hair tentacles. But the people in Litigaria just have, like, white opalescent face paint, and that's it. That's what they are. Like, Mystery Science Theater had an alien like that. Like... It's so low effort. It's, honestly, that's one of the things that kind of bugs me about Star Trek, that I know the new series does, whichever new series, they do, like, more interesting things, but, like, all the classic aliens that are just like, look, we put a little putty and we smudged it with a finger, but if we smudged it with a finger a different way, it's a completely different alien. Was there an explanation for that? Was it, like, uh, was it, like... In the Marvel Universe, how the Celestials are, you know, walking around blowing up planets that don't have 
people who are shaped like people, and that's why everyone can fuck. Uh, yeah, there's a next-gen episode that says that there's a progenitor species that is human-looking, so that's why everybody looks like humans. Okay, which, I'm fair, I guess. Which, honestly, Farscape also gives us a similar explanation. We find out that Sebation DNA is just all over the galaxy, but even then, like, Farscape doesn't even need to do that. They earned not having to do that, but they still explain that away. Yeah. I was gonna say this alien makeup is so lazy it's as lazy as the alien makeup that i did my freshman year of college when i went to like an alien themed dorm party except i put more work into mine because i painted my face with opalescent paint and i made a dress out of saran wrap it was it was uh do you remember when they were pushing colored saran wrap back in the early 2000s i have some memories of this yes so i saw like a Ricky Lake or a Jerry Springer episode that was like, my daughter is a whore. <laughs> and the thing was that one of the things the mother was complaining about was that she would make dresses out of colored saran wrap. Anyway, alien party. And I remembered that and was like, genius. And so I made like myself a retro futuristic alien dress out of saran wrap. Would that mother have called Maria Von Trapp a whore for making uh, clothes out of curtains? Probably. You know what curtains are meant to do, right? be opened so an evil lawyer lady sees zan on the planet asking around in the cantina about these people this uh this luxon and this sebation and this hugh i mean other sebation okay 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 so i know this is sort of well-trod territory by now but does the farscape universe run off like little prince planet rules because otherwise they're kind of skimming over like we've we've visited all of these different worlds in 20 days and i feel like that's not enough time to investigate a whole planet to see if your friends yeah i on feel it. like it would take more than 20 days to search like one planet oh well it doesn't matter <laughs> she just lands on every planet asks people in the first bar she goes to and if they say no <laughs> zan's in a narrative she knows how it works it's true Anyway, one of the lawyer ladies sees Zan asking questions and gets an evil look in her eye like, ooh, here's a alien that I can pin some crimes on. Mm. Yeah. So Chiana is entertaining some men. And she's getting into trouble like she does. Just uh, to mention, because obviously we already mentioned these episodes were shot out of order chiana is now wearing her normal outfit instead of her sexy outfit god even though these outfits are functionally identical i believe you posted something on our twitter uh about that i did i did not until like a week after the episode dropped but if you go look in the media you can see the difference between normal chiana and sexy chiana and you can see what a what a stark contrast it is i love tv zines at twitter Yes, I love TV zines. At, At I love TV TV. zines. Yeah. So. <sighs> Zan calls up to Moya and Pilot's like, hey, Zan, Moya loves all of this farting around looking for these carbon-based friends of yours, but she would really like to go look for her baby right now. So you've got like, you've got 24 hours or, you know, whatever period of time you have. 24 space hours. Arms. Arms. Yeah, and then we are out of here. Gonna go find my baby. It's actually really sad, honestly. If Moya was more of a character. 
I, I still feel emotions about it. Huh. But yeah, no. Moya wants to find her baby. Does she not have the... I mean, I know she doesn't have the link to... Talon. Talon, but... Right, like, that was something she had to work with Aaron later to establish, or... She did have to work with Aaron to establish a link, but that wasn't, like, a... I mean, I guess it was a psychic link, but it was an ability to communicate with him. The fact that he took off, she... You know, that's... she, She doesn't just instinctively know where he is. Yeah, but I mean, if he's in the area, right? <laughs> anyway, so there's a time limit, but uh-oh. We had to raise the stakes, Max. <laughs> God, yeah. But uh-oh, it looks like they violated one of the trillions of laws that are, you know, laws on the lawyer planet because everyone has a job as a lawyer here, so they do nothing but write laws. And Okay, okay, we're going to talk about that when they tell us that, and I have words to speak. Hmm. But first, yes. Zan gets arrested for crossing against the light. You know what? Star Trek Next Generation already did this with Wesley Crusher being sentenced to death for walking on the grass. And it was better. Think about that, Farscape. Star Trek The Next Generation did this better in the episode where Wesley got arrested for walking on the grass. Not famously one of the best episodes. (laughs) Yeah, it's no rascals. I love rascals. I feel like the kid who played kid John Luke Picard probably got beat up a lot for that. Oh, you're probably right. That makes me sad. Oh, well. So Chiana is looking for a lawyer for Zan because she's in jail and she's talking to Pilot. And she's like, hey, Pilot, can you maybe not take off for a little while? Because, you know, Zan's in jail and we need to kind of resolve this before, you know, you leave us here. Yeah. And Zan, Zan calls Chiana over and she's like, hey. It's okay if you, you know, want to leave without me. It's fine. I'm very noble. I've been in jail before. I'll survive. So the the attorney, the... Uh, public defender. The public defender shows up and is like, Okay, well, this is a minor infraction, so you you'll probably be let go after, you know, just a short term in prison. And... Zan and Chiana are like, yeah, we can't, we can't spend a short time in prison because our ship's gonna leave without us. We can't spend ten days here. And the attorney's like, sucks to be you. He's like, you can get another lawyer if you want. The planet's full of them. (sighs) Okay, okay. So... Let's, 90% of our population are lawyers. Talk about that. Okay. 90% of the planet are lawyers. And I, I understand that we're already talking about Litigaria, the lawyer planet. So already, maybe I shouldn't be, you know, poking at this too hard. But if you have a population on your planet who are the elite, which the lawyers here are... You can't have a planet that's 90% elite. That's not how elite works. So 10% of the planet is doing all of the work of maintaining the planet for the lawyers? I I mean, I'm saying this as a lawyer. Lawyers don't do important enough work that you need 90% of your population to be them. Like. And I mean, I get. I get what they're going for about how a small, like, underclass is, you know, does all of the heavy lifting and stuff. But but I, that's not how that works. It it should be 
an oppressed class that makes up the majority of people who keep the world functioning. Okay, so say half of the people in the world decide to go out to dinner, Mm. which they probably do because they're elite lawyers. So 45% of the population is out and 10% of the population are all of the wait staff, all of the chefs, all of the chefs, all of the taxi drivers, all of the bus boys, and this is assuming that that 10% of the population is servicing the restaurant industry, and that's not going to be the case because, you know, there are other jobs that are being done. This seems like it functions as a prison planet. I would imagine they need a lot of people to run those prisons. Oh, wow. No, that's... I I just realized, obviously, that's what's happening. They obviously must just use prison labor for everything. Oh, I guess. I mean, do they only imprison off-worlders, though? Or are the lawyers in jail? No, I... Okay, now now I understand. No, lawyers must be imprisoned as well, and they must... That must be where... That must be how the world runs. Hmm. Ugh. I hate it even more now, but at least now I'm not complaining that it's unrealistic. It's more equal opportunity, slave labor. Yeah, and that, that is what... Because anyone can go to jail for anything and then... Well, I mean, they don't say that they use prison labor, but you're right, that's the only way that planet could function. It's kind of interesting. That means that your abilities as a lawyer are the only things keeping you out of indentured servitude. Yeah. So... I mean, that makes sense, too, if you've got a planet with a lot of really finicky laws and you get imprisoned for something like walking against the light, you would have to do that. Oh, wow. Okay. We talked long enough that now I no longer have a bone to pick with the logistics of this planet. Now I'm just depressed. That's definitely what's happening on this planet. I mean, it would be interesting if they talked about that more. I mean... Slash at all. And uh, this is all wild conjecture on our part just to make the episode work. Right. That's true. That's true. It's weird how I hate this episode that is like a little courtroom drama. But if they had gotten stuck in prison on a lawyer planet like this, on, on this bureaucracy planet, and the whole thing had been about like a prison revolution, like all of the prisoners revolting and taking over the planet and... Moya's crew just getting caught up in it, I would probably be totally into that episode. Also, it kind of pokes a hole in our theory that Zan's just in prison the whole time. I mean, I guess it's during a trial, so they wouldn't uh, force her to do labor. Yeah, yeah, she hasn't actually, she hasn't been sentenced yet. Yeah, okay, fair, fair enough. You win this round episode that was shot like 30 years ago. (laughs) Oh god, it was. Time. My goodness. Oh, so... We get this really slow, circular panning shot of the prison. This whole episode, this is why I said it kind of feels like it was cut together from, like, cut things from other episodes. They're just all these meandering shots that do nothing. Well, I think they're attempting to be atmospheric. Zan is now alone. You know, it's it's the end of the day, so the prison isn't swarmed with lawyers anymore. And she's staring out of her cell, and she sees backlit Aaron and Dargo and John walking, doing a hero walk down the hall. And she's like, yay, you've come to rescue me. And they're like, yeah, 
we're big damn heroes and we're here to rescue you. Rescue you from being alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to say, we, we know, we know that this is just a dream sequence of Zans, or a fantasy sequence, or a hallucination, whatever you want to call it. Inside of a flashback, inside of a not very well-established framing narrative. Okay, that's true, but I that isn't even what I was going to say. What I was going to say is that John says, well, Zan says, you know, the last 15 days have been terrible, and John says it hasn't exactly been a trip to Disneyland for us either. So within Zan's hallucination of John, he's still making Earth pop culture references. And somehow she's able to correctly know the Earth pop culture references. She did have brain sex with him. Yeah, yeah. God, so she's just going to go around the rest of her life making references to stuff no one else knows about, including her. Oh my gosh, she's... She caught John's obscure, I mean, they're not obscure to us, but they are to any non-Earthling. Yeah. She caught John's obscure referencing from him. It'd be like if I went around talking about the Eli Whitney Museum all the time, and then you started talking about the Eli Whitney Museum. Yeah, the Eli Whitney Museum. Inventor of the cotton gin. Sure, sure. Yeah, they had this, uh, oh god, it was a water table. It was really cool. You could build these little boats, and then it would go to, you could send them down through the water table. If you grew up in a certain part of Connecticut, you went to the Eli Whitney Museum on, like, a school trip or something and did it. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, it's moderately fun. <laughs> so, John walks through the wall of the cell because he's just a hallucination. And Sans like, oh no, you're a hallucination. And she tells him how, basically, he's her rock and she's come to rely on him. And now that she's alone, she doesn't know what to do. Okay. And John's like, hey. Hey, you have Chiana. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, right? So mean. Oh. Okay, but you have to keep in mind, this is a story Zan is telling John. So she's like, so then I had a conversation with my hallucination of you where I told you that you were my rock and your hallucination self told me that I needed to lean on Chiana. And John's probably like, Zan, I'm trying to to fix this so we don't die in space (laughs) shut up zan for the love of god shut up also they they touched foreheads they 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 kind of did a little glancing unity i have to assume that's that's like the delvian equivalent of a kiss uh so or 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 a hand job Uh, a head job forehead job (laughs) that's what headbutting is in (laughs) delvian so she must also be telling that to john then I gave you a psychic hand job, and that's how I knew in my heart of hearts that you were alive. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, I don't even know if we mentioned it when we were talking way back about the first episode in this season. Mm-hmm. But when they get back to Moya and Zan is all next levelly, and yeah, and she doesn't actually believe that she's talking to John. Mm-hmm. This is the explanation for that because she's been hallucinating them so long. Do we ever do we get a good reason for that? Do we get any reason for that? Oh, right now? No, she's just upset. And when she's upset, she hallucinates. No, I'm she's she's in dire straits. You know, Zan has never experienced being a prisoner before, Max. <laughs> she definitely has no idea how to cope with it. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
starting to hallucinate whenever you're under stress seems like it's a really bad adaptive yeah (laughs) it's not it's not the best survival instinct i mean it's no vomiting spores when you're hungry okay that's awesome no that was that was cool Oh, so the evil lawyer lady that we saw before who who has a plot, the evil lawyer lady who has a plot comes and melts one of the prison bars of Zan's cell and is like, hey, you should escape now. I'm part of a secret group of people who help people because people who help people are the luckiest people in the uncharted territories. This definitely isn't a frame job. Now run free, tiny sparrow. Run free! No trap! Swearsies! Oh. But of course it is a trap. Zan runs like 15 feet, trips over a dead body, and uh-oh, look who's going back to jail for murder this time. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the evil lawyer lady had given her a map to get out. It self-destructs. So basically she had given her a map that would lead her to the dead body. The cops swarm her and then the map self-destructs. So there's no evidence that evil lawyer lady did this. And now Zan is tased and arrested. And uh, yeah, this, it's not good. It's not looking good for Zan. Hey, look, it's a worse version of the Harmony episode in the last season of Angel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where Harmony was being framed for killing all of the people at Wolfram and Hart. Which, by the way... Wolfram and Hart, the lawyer corporation, is so much better than Litigaria, the lawyer planet. Just throwing that out there. If you want to do a show and have an episode about evil lawyers, Angel is your best bet. I mean, the last season was way more uneven than I remember it being, but there are some really solid episodes that take advantage of the whole evil law firm thing. That's true. That's true. The one where Lauren gets his sleep removed and he's trying to throw that party. I love that episode. Honestly, the last season of Angel, which is basically a soft reboot, mm. because it just becomes the Wolfram and Hart show, Yeah, I would have watched that show. Like, it's uneven the way a first season is uneven of any show. The whole Ilaria thing feels so crowbarred in there. Oh, oh, well, I mean, it wouldn't be a Joss Whedon show if we weren't doing some woman dirty, right? He hadn't had enough with Cordelia. He needed Fred as an uh, after-dinner trauma mint. Yeah, basically. I, uh, no, what they do to Fred in that show is so frustrating. But anyway, Zan's back in her cell, and she's being told that she's going to be executed because she killed a guy, even though turns out no one liked the guy she killed. Because he was a radical who was advocating for the lawyers to stop being the elite on the planet. Isn't it a bizarre coincidence that the person Zan killed was a political opponent of the most powerful people on the planet? I'm sorry, this is, I I know the, the Harmony episode came out later, but this is the exact thing Harmony got framed for in that episode. The guy was a demon rights attorney. Yes, yes. And like, who is like brokering this peace deal between these two warring tribes yes although as you said that angel episode came later yeah it came much later but it's a much better version of this episode i i suggest watching that episode i do yeah i do i mean honestly even if you haven't really watched angel i feel like it's kind of a good uh yeah i think you could start with that episode 
yeah, it's it's one of those episodes where you can just drop in and yeah, you won't know everything. You'll be kind of, you know, you'll be doing a little bit of catch up, but it's mostly standalone. Yeah, it's it's like a little one shot, which yeah. I do like when when series have that. I, I tend to use uh, gingerbread as my uh, launch episode for Buffy to see uh-huh. if people will like it because it's kind of deep enough. So everyone's lore is established. You know, Will is a witch by this point. It's weird that the episode that you use as the launch episode is the only episode in the entire series where we see Willow's parents. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's like a it's like a test because I don't think it's like the best episode of Buffy, but I feel like it's the one you can come into with the least foreknowledge because it's about Buffy's mom kind of getting a taste of Buffy's world and her experiencing what Buffy experiences for the first time in I mean, don't you think that most people would say that if you want to start someone off with just one episode, it should be Hush? I feel like Hush requires too much. I mean, Hush is really good, and I I think it could probably be a standalone. But I don't know. Just, I feel like it doesn't set you up for the rest of the series like Gingerbread does. Oh, okay. Okay, that's interesting. Because I don't think Gingerbread's the best episode. I feel like it's the best episode for gauging how interested someone would be in the rest of Buffy. That makes sense. Hush is an episode that you could watch and then not watch any more Buffy. You could just watch that episode like a little movie. Mm-hmm. But it is in the season where Buffy took a field trip to an entirely different show. So there's a lot of initiative stuff in that. Yeah. Yeah. You'd assume that the army was a stronger presence in Buffy than it is otherwise. It is a really good episode, though. Hush? Yeah. Oh, no, Hush is amazing. It, it, If it weren't for the body, I'd say it's probably the best episode. Oh, God. Let's not talk about the body. Yeah, it just... Makes you feel things. All right. Speaking of things that don't make me feel things. Zan says that she is going to plead innocent since she didn't kill anyone and she doesn't want to be executed. And the lawyer informs her that on this planet... If lawyers put forth a defense that has any untruth about it, so if he says that she's innocent and she is not in fact innocent, the lawyer gets executed too. This is the stupidest planet. I mean... Can you... I I don't understand how a planet full of lawyers let that happen. Also, that seems like... Honestly, it seems like a really easy way to get people killed by engineering lies but i don't know this look if that's the case if you don't have as we have in our system lawyers who have a vested interest in zealously defending their client regardless of the client's guilt or innocence then you don't really have a legal system because everything is kind of a foregone conclusion he even says that he even says about Zan's execution that her guilt is already a foregone conclusion. And if that's the case, what do you have to support a planet that's 90% lawyers? I just, just one bartender guy. Right? I, uh, 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 okay, so, so she's not going to be able to find counsel because no one wants to, you know, die for some random blue lady from another planet. Which, you know, fair. That's fair. So, Chiana and Rigel are going to represent her. Chiana and Rigel are going to represent her in a case where 
If they lie, they get executed. Uh-oh, they're the rogue characters. They do nothing but lie. There's a, there's an episode of uh, Raising Hope. Uh-huh. Where a lawyer hires uh, two of the main characters to sit at his table and he talks about it. They're, they're like, we're not lawyers. We didn't even finish high school. And he's like, yeah. But the thing is, I'm going to do all the lawyering. But I need attractive people sitting at my table because that's really what decides whether or not the jury likes you. I have thoughts about the accuracy of that. But since I don't do trial law, I will let that go. Also, I just want to be clear here that lawyers here in America are not allowed to lie either. You also cannot present untruths to the judge. But you'll notice... I know this is going to date this instantly. You'll notice every lawsuit Donald Trump's people have been filing say completely different things than what the man says on Twitter. Okay, but that's... Because they're not going to go in front of a judge and present blatant lies. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good point, yes. And when I said that you take a client regardless of guilt or innocence, I am saying this because in our system... The way it's supposed to work, we'll leave everything else to the side. Hmm. The way it's supposed to work is that you don't, as an attorney, have to prove that your client is innocent if you're a defense attorney. Your job is to force the state to make a compelling case, to knock down the state's case, hmm. regardless of whether your client did it. In fact, I, I there's a line from Battlestar Galactica that, as a law student, I really loved, where he says, you know, I don't care if you did it or not. I care if the state can prove that you did it. Now, that's a line from the sadly short-lived B.B. Newworth Law & Order uh, spinoff trial by jury. Oh! Yeah, where, uh, like, one of, she, she's, like, the main lawyer, and one of her sub-lawyers is, like, uh, isn't a trial us, uh, isn't a trial the search for the truth? And B.B. Newworth says, no, a trial's a search for admissible evidence. Of course, saying all this, I don't do trial law, but I, I still have strong feelings that, you know, our system only works if every person gets a zealous defense. The, the Raising Hope episode, the kind of joke it's building towards is the, the lawyer ends up not showing up when they have to defend the client. Uh-huh. And they're like, okay, we've watched every episode of Law & Order, so we'll just use all of the tricks from Law & Order. And the judge is getting increasingly more angry because Law and Order has ruined an entire generation of lawyers. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they keep doing the withdrawn thing, which I'm assuming you're not allowed to, you know, ask a really leading question and then say withdrawn. Oh yeah, no, that's no. You're, you're gonna get you're gonna get shut down by the judge if you do that kind of shenanigans. Mostly, usually, I have seen and heard of some pretty shenaniganous judges. Uh, attorneys who were kind of given more reign than maybe they should have been in, mm. in courts. Although, I would say that Law and Order hasn't ruined a generation of attorneys. But speaking of Hulu, I happen to notice that Hulu just acquired Boston Legal. Mm. And when I was in law school, we would sit and watch Boston Legal every week and talk about how wrong it was. We would just watch Boston League. It, it was—I felt very nostalgic when I saw it was on there. I was—I was thrown back to law school when we would sit and be like, "That's not what that term means." We should watch an episode of Ed. I know basically nothing about the law except for what I know from Law and Order, and every episode of Ed, like I—I I found a bunch of episodes of it uploaded on YouTube. Speaking of Tom Cavanaugh, 
<laughs> and uh, I, I went through like three of them and I was like, A, this show is not as good as I remember it being. It has aged fairly badly. And B, I know basically nothing about the law. And this show is such an inaccurate depiction of how law stuff works. Oh. It's obvious even to me. I actually, I'll, I'll take your word for that or or I'll watch some episodes. But I would not have been surprised if Ed was more accurate than, say, Law and Order. You mean the Scrubs thing? Um, I have heard that Scrubs is a more accurate depiction of what it's like to be, an, you know, an intern in a hospital than, say, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, because it, it's all just mundane paperwork. And yeah. <laughs> But I was actually thinking about how one of the best depictions of what it's like to do a trial in the South is my cousin Finney. Mm. I actually when I had to give a presentation in my evidence class, used the the uh, the segment where Mona Lisa is uh, voidiered. I was going to say Crazy Ex-Girlfriend when you're talking about shows that are unexpectedly legally accurate. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is also very legally accurate, but that's because she does transactional law for the most part, and writing contracts is writing contracts. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing before we get back to the episode. There's so many diversions, but that's because this episode is so boring and poorly put together. But what you did with Boston Legal when uh, you were in law school, uh huh. me and my friends did when we were, you know, taking our animation classes with the old He-Man cartoon. Yeah, except I believe I remember that you turned yours into a drinking game. Yes. Where you drank every time there was a, an animation screw up. Or something overtly homoerotic, which if you've ever seen He-Man... You must have gotten so wasted. I didn't actually drink during that period. Oh, okay. That's it, good. It wasn't a moral thing. I just didn't have the stomach for alcohol and I had a lot of work to do. So... <laughs> Got it. So, you mentioned that Rigel and Chiana are the rogues. Oh no, how are they going to not lie? Mm-hmm. Rigel actually shows off his gather information skill here. We've talked before about how he serves no purpose on the team and he, he brings no benefits to it. But right now at the council table, he's debriefing Chiana on all of the law firms, who's in charge, what the political affiliations are, what's going on, so that she understands the political implications that have led to Zan being framed for murder. So at some point, Rigel was out there gathering that information, and this 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 is what he does. He understands the political underpinnings of the worlds they find themselves in. Hmm. It's not really necessary here. I guess it's a little necessary. I guess knowing who would benefit from this guy's murder is how they solve the crime. But everyone, step back. Here comes the... Judge, I suppose. Sure, we'll just call her a judge. Oh my god, wearing what has to be the worst outfit. Speaking of original series Star Trek, that is that is some 70s sci-fi nonsense. It is a giant foam cylindrical hat. It's like kind of what if a what 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 if a sombrero got thick? Okay, that's 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 accurate. That's what it is. Huh. So, so, wow. So Zan gets up and is like, hey, I, uh, I did not commit a crime. Oh, hold on. You know, we said that Zan had Rigel and Chiana representing her, but actually that hasn't happened yet. At this point, she gets up and is all like, hey, I didn't commit a crime. And the judge is like, really? Because your attorney says you're totally guilty. How does that system work? 
I, I, how does that system work? So, Zan- Don't be a lawyer. <laughs> I'm not going to sing any more of this song because then we'll have to pay for it. <laughs> so, Zan is like, wait, no. I want a new lawyer. And this is when Rigel and Shiana are like, I volunteer as tribute. Good lord. Yeah. So that's 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 how she ends up with the two best attorneys on Litigaria, the litigation planet. I know I keep saying that this is a worse version of things that came later, but you know what this is a worse version of? What? The Lower Decks episode with the fake trial. That's a great episode. Just, just why the scorpions then? Lower Decks is, I feel, underrated Star Trek. I feel like that was a great Star Trek series. Yeah. Wait, did it get canceled? No, no, I don't think so. I think they're coming back for another season. Oh, good, because I really liked it. Yeah, I did too. And I'm, again, I'm not a Star Trek fan outside of the stupid stuff, but I feel like a lot of people misjudged it because it has kind of a Rick and Morty-esque aesthetic, which, eh, but that's just sort of the way animation is trending these days, so maybe let's all calm down a little bit. It's not like the original animated series was a bastion of quality art. Oh my god, the filmation animation? I do have a soft spot for filmation animation, but yeah, it's 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 real bad. So back in Zan's cell, Rigel and Shiana have like this huge stack of law books because there are a lot of laws here on Litigaria. And okay, okay, speaking of things that did this better, the the My Cousin Vinny scene where he gets the Civil Procedures of Alabama book and it's like, oh shit, it's a long book, mm. is a better version of this scene. But Chiana and Rigel are like, Zan, aren't you glad we're helping you? And Zan is being all mopey. She's like, all you've done is assure your own deaths in addition to mine. Yeah, this this episode may have made me turn a corner on Zan and not in a good way. Oh no. I like her, but my god, they give her no good plots. All of her stuff is terrible. She's a very conceptually interesting character, and I like Virginia Hayes, but... Yeah, nothing against the actress. I just can't stand Zan. My least favorite Zan moment hasn't even happened yet, so we've still got that to go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rigel and Chiana are trying to read all of these law books, and then the bartender's like, hey, take this super thinned book, because... It's all you really need to know. Everything else is just bureaucracy made up by lawyers. That's the lo- that's how laws work. First we kill all the lawyers. Here's the thing. Laws are complicated because humanity is complex. But uh, is litiganity? <laughs> no, I I I I make I yeah, okay. No, but seriously. Laws are complex because that what humanity is this this little thin book of laws that he gives them whatever whatever it, it's not inherently more it, it it doesn't inherently contain more justice because it's shorter that's such a conservative way of thinking it's also like it's frustrating because it kind of smacks of that whole you know the trope in movies where there's a bunch of scientists who are trying to figure something out and then there's like a aw shucks usually military guy who's like wait a second why don't you just put more air into the balloon yeah 
I I hate how often I go. I don't. I, I love that moment, but I keep going back to that one Futurama thing. It's why don't you why don't you do something really complex and then explain it with a simple metaphor? You know. Oh, I know. We can draw power from his elemental matrix and you know filter it through the ship's engines to create a reverse platonic event. You mean like someone when someone puts too much air in a balloon, <laughs> like. Although that's not exactly uh, uh, the moment you're talking about. What you're talking about is, like, a bunch of scientists who are... Well, okay. The the joke about Americans and Russians were presented with a problem where, you know, pens don't work in space. So the Americans spent billions of dollars creating a special pen that will write in space, and Russians just brought pencils. Like, there's a thing in movies where there's a character who is usually, you know american white dude who's not you know part of the intelligentsia and he has like good simple at-home knowledge and he knows how to fix a truck and that's why he can just waltz in and fix whatever engineering problems people from mit can't figure out because they're liberal nerds this i feel like they don't they don't live in the real world i feel like this is more of a thing in the 80s but It, it definitely smacks of that trope we definitely are talking about like a post-qualification society here. Well, it's that uh, it's that movie with Bruce Willis and uh, Ben Affleck where Armageddon. Yeah, where apparently it's easier to teach uh, m- miners to be astronauts than astronauts to use mining equipment. Yeah. Now, to be fair, in that instance, you're talking about people who do have a very specialized knowledge. Mm. Now that I'm dying in space, you have my permission to fuck my daughter. That also happens in that movie. But my point is, at least it's not like, oh, these country folk understand things better than us scientists. It's like, oh, we need somebody who can operate the drills. Let's get somebody who's specialized in operating a drill. That's, I'm, I, I'm, I'm more okay with that. Eh, I mean, it all comes from the same middle America is the only real America web. Like, it's all the same web of smug kind of uh, okay we, we let's let's not get into a whole, a whole thing here he said after they already got into a whole thing here okay farscape farscape zan is having another hallucination this time of aaron looking super sexy in the shadows by the way like hi i'm shadow aaron and i'm here to explore your deep mind crevasse Oh my god. Uh, no, she's there to guilt Zan and be like, Zan, you left me to die, which Aaron would never say, by the way. I mean, Aaron, Aaron might say it, but she'd be like, thumbs up, you left me to die. Good job, Zan. She's like, I, I respect your warrior heart for doing what needed to be done. Now, do you think as Zan is telling this story to John, she's describing how sexy Aaron looks in the shadow? Because Aaron looks so <laughs> hot in that shadow. Anyway, then she dissolves, because she's just a hallucination. And then Zan gets all sad, like, oh no, I liked it better when you were yelling at me than when you disappear, because... I I feel extra guilt if you're not here yelling. Why is she hallucinating? Stop hallucinating, you big hallucinating baby. Oh, okay, back at the trial... Zan is like, you know what? I feel super guilty because I left my friends to die, so I'm just gonna plead guilty to murder and let you kill me because that 
dark. It's that's a dark thing there. Also, by the way, I think court is outside. I think it was a nice day outside, and that's why they're holding court out there. Okay. No, I'm glad you brought this up. Court is not outside, but they didn't build a set. Like this this court is pillars, right? Like the pillar where the defendant stands and like the pillars where the lawyers sit and the pillar where the jury is. But then behind them are just screens that no one got around to painting with any sort of backdrop. So they just put some purple light on it and call it a day. They just didn't get around to building the sets for this episode. I mean, honestly, I feel like what happens later would make more sense if it was outside. But that's true. But yeah, no, it, it I have no idea where we're supposed to be. This is so half-assed. Anyway, Chiana and Rigel are like, um, Zan, don't do that. Don't. They should all be put to death right now. They're disagreeing with their client while they're on the stand at the table. I don't know. I don't know how this lawyer, I don't, I guess Law Planet probably works differently. But I feel like if your client is saying one thing and you're saying a different thing, one of you has to be lying, therefore all of you should be put to death. Well, interesting, but Rigel and Chiana point out that yesterday when Zan tried to plead innocent and the other lawyer said she was guilty, they wouldn't listen to her, they just listened to the lawyer. So, honestly, at that point, that lawyer should have been questioned. But anyway, they they point out that they shouldn't just take Zan's plea, and the judge agrees, so... Now Zan doesn't get to speak. She gets literally muzzled, and we're gonna go on with the trial now. And Rigel and Shiana are like, oh, that's that's as far as we planned. We didn't plan anything else. Yeah. And then we have your typical courtroom drama where all of the witnesses are coming forward and explaining, you know, they they found the victim. Hey, remember the Avatar Day episode of Avatar where Aang was on trial? Oh, I hate that episode, too. You do? Oh, I do. I, I, it just, it, it, it makes me so mad on Aang's behalf. You don't think it's fair to try a 12-year-old kid for something his past lives did? I do not. I do not. I do love that, what is it, Kiyoshi? Yes. Kiyoshi possesses Aang to take the stand to be like, yep, I killed that guy. And then she bamps out. Thanks, Kiyoshi. Super helpful. Super helpful, Kiyoshi. I'm just saying, Kyoshi would have ended Ozai in like 10 seconds if she was Avatar when that was going down. Well, I mean, that's why she's the, not the devil, but she's the the violent angel on his shoulder when he's preparing for his fight with Ozai. He's like, yeah, kill him. Go in there and kill him. I mean, I'd, I'd say pragmatic, maybe. Yes, yes. She's like, look, you could waste a lot of time trying to find a different solution. I'm not saying there's not a different solution. But honestly, it would be easier if you just killed him and you might not come up with this alternate solution in time and everyone might die because you're not willing to do the obvious thing. I mean, if you think about it, I would expect an Earthbender to be the most pragmatic avatar. Yeah. Yeah. Although basically everyone's like, dude, you kill him. Now, you know that I am preparing a playlist for you of episodes of Stargate to watch so that we can experience Vala Maldoran without having to watch any of the rest of Stargate. Mm. Without you having to watch any of the rest of Stargate, I've watched all of Stargate. Mm. There is an episode where she gets tried for things that her self did while possessed by a ghoul, 
But I actually love that episode. That's one of the ones we're going to watch. I can't say gold without me thinking about Elliot. I remember thinking about that every time I'm watching Stargate from now on. Yeah, just imagine everyone's being possessed by Elliot Gould. So... I feel like it says something about the episode that we've talked over large portions of it where nothing happens, except a guy, you know, takes the stand and he's like, you know, Zan killed the one man who was standing up for people who aren't lawyers. It's it's so ironic. It's like rain on your wedding day. Yeah. And also, Chiana and Rangel don't really have a defense of Zan other than... They basically ask all the guards who get called, hey, um, how exactly did she escape while you were guarding? They're like, I guess we're just bad at our jobs. We're definitely not working for the corporation that, you know, wanted to kill this guy because they didn't want non-lawyers to get more rights. But... The lawyer corporation. <laughs> Actually, an important thing does happen, which is that one of the guards has a severe burn on his face. And Chiana and Rigel ask the bartender, the one bartender on the planet, mm. what's up with his face. And they learn that there's this thing where if you have blue eyes, is it blue eyes? It's blue eyes. If you have blue eyes, then the moonlight burns you. Yeah, because there's two moons on Litigaria. So when there's a full moon, you get burned if you have blue eyes because that's you're just genetically predisposed to burns. I guess it's like if you have really pale skin you're more likely to get sunburned oh yeah it's exactly like that I, I don't question that part that's fine that makes sense so chiana goes to uh seduce this guy because that's her go-to move and she goes over and she's like hi can me and my boobs have a little conversation with me and he's like yeah okay <laughs> you're not that weird of an alien you know we both have white face paint yours is just way better than mine <laughs> And Maybe if I have sex with you, some of it will uh, rub off onto me. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rigel has learned that, from from reading this old law book, that they used to have... A burning stick. The light of truth. That you stuck this burning stick in someone's face, and if they lied, it got brighter. Yeah. The light of truth. Okay, this is like... I, I feel like this is the equivalent of if you were trying a case in New England and you were like, well, I found an old law that says that if this defendant weighs the same as a duck, she is a witch. I, and mean, I, would, I would be pretty suspicious of a full-grown woman who weighed the same as a duck. That was a Monty Python reference. I know, but I'm just saying she's probably a witch. Honestly, I that's that's the that's the joke at the end of that, which is that as they're walking away in the background, you see that she does in fact weigh the same as a duck. Yeah. But that's not my point. Yes. My point is this is, feels to me like the equivalent of if you had gone into Salem and were like, I want to bring out these witch trying statutes that I found in an old law book. Modern day Salem. Yeah, modern day Salem. Exactly. Exactly. It's not too not to make a yet another reference, the Prohibition episode of The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. With the catapult. Because it turns out that Prohibition was never repealed. Except it was. Except I kept reading after you all <laughs> left. <laughs> all right. It turns out it was repealed later the same day. So, Rigel and Chiana are back at court the next day, and Chiana's hungover from her seduction technique. Mm. And Rigel gives her hangover medication. He's like, take this one now and take this one in six hours. 
But of course she takes both so that she can be high during this trial scene. You know what makes you a better lawyer? Getting high. Yeah, she's acting like she's on cocaine right now. She's just running around. I mean, okay, maybe, maybe cocaine. She's very hyped up. And, um, yeah, that's, it's, honestly, this was the most enjoyable part of the episode for me, was watching Chiana be super hyped up. I wish she'd leaned into cat behavior more, you know, started rubbing herself on stuff. Mm. That would probably be hard to do with the makeup and stuff, though. Yeah, I think I'm okay with, with how they did it. This one time, my, uh, back when I lived in Boston and had a cat, the cat got into, like, this little bag of catnip. We had, she, like, managed to open it, uh-huh. and she sniffed too much i don't i don't know how catnip works on cats but she got mega high and she was just dashing around the apartment and she'd stop to like rub herself against things just over and over and over again and then she'd start running around again oh my goodness it was kind of scary at first and then it got funny so we bring up the next witness now and roger points out that on the night of the murder there was a double moon and the police officer who found the body got a serious burn and the victim also had blue eyes so he should have had a burn too but he didn't which must mean that he was killed somewhere else and brought to the place where he died which is a really great factual thing for them to have found they're very lucky that they found evidence that zan is innocent because otherwise i don't know exactly what the plan was yeah they're lucky that uh the people who set up this fake murder were so very, very incompetent. Yeah. We uh, reset the stakes by having Pilot call Chiana and be like, yeah, we're going to go, like, right the hell now. And Chiana's like, no, we're so close. But she tries to escape, but there's a force field. Yes, the evil lawyer lady has put up a force field to, like, stop stop her and be evil and menacing to her okay yeah they they pull her into chambers so that they can I don't intimidate know. her they're, yeah they're trying to be like look if you just throw your client under the bus uh we'll let you go off the planet with your little fish man and uh like we'll be cool like look just 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 drop it just drop it and we'll let you go and if you don't drop it then you'll die and then you'll be executed with your client and chiana's like um no (laughs) also are you allowed to just quit being a lawyer part way through a trial not here but apparently there i mean yeah there are it's complicated there are a lot of laws around it because life is complex Mm. yeah so Basically, they come clean to her. They're like, you are mixed up in something bigger than you know. It's Chinatown. It, it is Chinatown, actually, because Chinatown's about water rights, mm. and uh, they refer to the 10% of people who service them as utilities. So it, it, it actually does have kind of the same backdrop as Chinatown. Anyway, the point is... They're telling Chiana that she's bitten off way more than she could chew, and she should just give up. And I mean, it seems like she's doing pretty well. I guess that's why they're having this conversation. Exactly. And then Chiana's smart enough, and Chiana's enough of a uh, swindler to know that they would not be making this offer to her if she wasn't scaring them. Mm. 
So back in Zan's cell, she's being, like, tied up like Hannibal Lecter, and Dargo has come to show up in her head and be like, Zan, you were in prison for a long time. Why are you cracking after three days? What a good question, hallucination Dargo. She mentions that she had been studying to become a priest, that she began the seek to become a priest while she was in prison, and that's what kept her sane, and she abandoned the priesthood after the episode Rhapsody in Blue, so now she doesn't have that, and she will restart that meditation towards priesthood in this episode, which is why she was wearing her priest robes again in other episodes, and it's like, oh, an explanation for that. But I didn't really need that. It was enough for me that she came out in her priest robes and I could deduce, ah, she has restarted her meditations towards priesthood. But also it didn't, it made no sense why she gave up the priesthood in the first place. Also, this doesn't make sense because she killed that. The reason she went to jail is because she killed a guy with priest powers. It made sense to me that she abandoned the priesthood because she had lost her faith. I mean, it was about having a crisis of faith. That's fine. I understand that. I think it should have been presented better then because she's like, she spends the whole episode leveling up and then she's like, you know what? Actually, forget this. Well. Except when I use my power sometimes. <laughs> I'm abandoning this forever except for all the times when I'm not. Well, the point is she's she's going back on her, on her seek. She is, she's again seeking enlightenment. And that means that She's meditating and she won't answer Rigel and Shiana who are trying to get her off of a murder rap. Like, you're not going to reach enlightenment if you get executed tomorrow, Zan. So maybe start this... Med- I, you know what? I shouldn't... I, sh- I shouldn't criticize the way she copes with imprisonment. It's inherently inhumane. But I'd be very frustrated if I was Chiana. I guess that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yeah, just... You chose the worst time for this, Zan. It's the worst time. Oh, anyway, Pilot has decided he is not going to leave. I mean, Moya has allowed him to not leave. It's really not Pilot's decision. Mm. Moya is not going to go because... She loves them too much. Well, Chiana's calm was open when she was arguing with the lawyers, and Moya respected how much she stood by Zan, so Moya's not going to abandon them because she'd feel pretty shitty after... After Chiana was all like, no, I'm not going to abandon my crewmate. I, my fate is tied to hers. Moya would feel really crappy if she was like, well, <laughs> see ya, suckers. Yeah, screw my kid. I'm going to hang around for these people. Also, I mean, I'm I'm still on the whole, shouldn't, if they're in the general area, shouldn't she be able to psychically kind of try to find him? I, I don't like think it really works like that. Send out signals or whatever. Although that seems like that would risk you getting caught by uh Yeah. SM alien who we haven't seen in Scorpius. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't seen Scorpius in a while. Oh, don't worry, he's coming back. I think the last I mean, John had that hallucination and crackers don't matter, but I think that's basically been it after the, like the beginning of the season. Well that was like two episodes ago though. Crackers Don't Matter was or three episodes ago. I mean we haven't seen the actual well, at the end of the season, we'll talk about whether that hallucination counted hmm. and how it absolutely did. I guess the Bone Vampire episode was that this season. Uh, the Bone Vampire was last season. Yeah. Om nom nom Bone Vampire. <laughs> so, Chiana and Rigel are enacting their plan the next day. They have called to the stand. 
the guy who's the head of the law firm that obviously engineered this guy's death. And they want to use the light of truth on him. So... Chiana smashes a chair and takes a chair leg and is like, this is the light of truth. Okay. And then she basically, she holds it up in the guy's face and she's like, you kill that guy? You kill that guy? And he's like, no. And then Moya shines a light from space onto. Okay. okay. How is this not the most obvious goddamn thing in the. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So they light it on fire first, and they claim, and I'm sure there's there's no reason for us to doubt this, they claim that the book says any piece of wood can be the light of truth. So they designate this the light of truth. They light it on fire, and Moya fires plasma from space when they signal her to do so that causes the fire to erupt when he says he didn't killed the guy and that works and they can't see it happening they're familiar with interplanetary travel this yes isn't a foreign concept to them also are they outside they have to be right if moya's shooting also moya can shoot like phaser beams now or whatever you know what it's it is what it is it is what it is. Okay, whatever. So she gets off because the light told them that that guy, you know, is actually guilty of the murder. Everyone gets to go free. Hooray. End of flashback. I guess all of the evil lawyers are going to get murdered now or state sanctioned murdered. Yeah, but you know what? Not our problem. Yeah, whatever. This is actually a thing in this show where Moya's crew kind of dips in to tense political situations the political situation is not their concern and then they'll kind of leave all of the chaos behind them i appreciate that about the show there there's one episode in particular where the people on the planet are convinced that the crew arrived specifically to alter their politics and they're like you have no idea how little we care about what is happening on this planet which fair also, just for the record, like, this didn't solve anything. Like, the guy who is fighting for the rights of the 10% or whatever, he's still dead. We have no indication that someone else is going to take up that fight. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, they they don't solve the planet. They solve their problem and they leave. And they leave chaos in their wake. And... I mean, sure, it sucks for the one CEO guy or whatever, but... I mean, everyone else is probably fine. Yeah, but I mean, they didn't create that problem. They're, yeah. they, they, they have no responsibility to solve it. Yeah, I, I, and I'm using this in contrast to, you know, say, James T. Kirk, who thought it was his job to destroy every computer that said the people on the planet couldn't kiss each other. Like, sometimes that's not your business, and you should just leave and let the people on the planet work it out. Which, uh... Farscape has actually done a pretty good job with, like, the, you know, Graveyard Planet. That episode did a good job with that, where, like, believe it or not, we actually know better than you random person not from this planet. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons I really like that episode. Yeah, it's like, look, you're not blowing our mind by telling us that this place is poisonous. We know. We made our choice to live here. Like. Yeah. 
Don't come in here and Elon Musk at us, John right? Crichton. Ex- exactly. No, nobody needs nobody needs John's white savior complex. Speaking of John, uh, the story ends and John's like, "Okay, well that killed some time." Aaron, we done, and Aaron comes in over the rating. She's like, "Yeah, we're all good. Come on back to Moya." Well, they're they're gonna come get them because the ch- transport pod is messed up because Rigel was hiding food inside of equipment. Yeah. So Zan like leans against John. She's like, thank you for listening to my story. And he's like, it's done, right? You're done now. We can move on. And then the episode ends. Now, to be fair, this was the one moment in the entire episode that I felt anything. I, I'll bring it up again in, in in that segment because it was the one moment where I felt anything. So, uh, that's Dream a Little Dream of Me. Boo! My- <laughs> Sorry, it's not Dream a Little Dream of Me, it's just Dream a Little Dream. Dream a Little Dream, my least favorite episode of Farscape, but it's over now. It's so bad, and it's so cheap, and uh, it's it's awful. It is is genuinely, I think, the worst episode we've seen. Well, I'm very excited for the next episode, which is one of the weird off-the-wall ones. Okay. It is called Out of Their Minds, and I will show you in this preview image... That they reused, that the Henson company reused a Skeksis puppet for the villain, which I love. Mm. And the description on Amazon Prime is, An attack by ferocious bird-like aliens has the crew going out of their minds. Or is that out of their bodies? Oh, Oh, is this a body swap episode? It's a body swap episode! Okay, that's better, because I was like, if it's another episode where everyone's hallucinating... They've hit a lot of those this, this this season. It's been a lot of hallucinating. Nope, it's a body swap. It's a body swap. Okay. I, I love a good classic body swap. It, it, it is. It is a classic. So let's talk about our segments, though. I think they might be brief this, this episode. God, yes. So our first segment is a distant part of the universe, which is, Max, did any world building work for you in this episode? Were, were you excited to learn about Litigaria, the litigation planet? I honestly like the backstory we came up with for it. I I think that might have been interesting, the entirely fictional thing we came up with to try to make, I guess, this different fictional thing make sense. But no, I didn't like any of it. It was all bad. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree with every point you just made. I like our fictional fix for it. Our second segment, again, Strange Alien Creatures. Were there any interesting puppets or aliens in this episode? Oh, I like how everyone just looked pasty. That was awesome. That was great alien work there. Hmm, what if people were just pasty? What if Chiana, but without the effort? (laughs) And our last segment is Just Looking for a Way Home, which is what emotionally resonated with you this episode, if anything? I was... A fun combination of bored and angry through most of it. Angry. Okay. No, that that's bad. I mean, I'm stretching here because, like I said, this is not an episode that I rewatch. This is not an episode that does it for me. But the moment at the very end where Zan and John kind of put their heads on each other's shoulders and are comforting each other, I do appreciate that they have built through the series a kind of loving. Ca- casually intense friendship and supportive friendship 
between Zan and Jean through the series. I, I, I like that they've established this thing where it's two people who have had sex, but now they're just friends who are super, super comfortable with each other. And I like that. But that was like 10 seconds out of this episode. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It really felt more like... <laughs> are you done talking? It, it, well, it felt like, okay, we shot all of this already, but we needed something to, you know... We needed a, a, it felt like those episodes of the Golden Girls, I know this doesn't exactly work, where they don't actually have a full script, so they just kind of jerry-rig three separate pitches for scripts into, like... Yeah, so it's a night where three, where they're talking about three different bad dates they had, because it's like three... Mini-stories. Yeah. That they couldn't weave into a coherent narrative, so they just kind of are like, oh, and do you remember the time that... Yeah, uh, I totally see, I mean, that is kind of what happened in this episode. I also want to point out the significance of the fact that the one part of the episode that had a point that resonated with me was the part that was shot to be a frame story, not as part of this episode. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there we are. It's behind us now. Now we can move forward. You can know that they're all better from here on out. Mm -hmm. And seriously, I'm very excited for Out of Their Minds. All right, so I think that'll about do it for this week. I guess that does do it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.